This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jansink. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. Welcome to God's Planning. Thank you to all of our supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please check out our Patreon page where you can become a monthly donor. Also, if you would like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube, that really helps us out. Thanks so much. Father Bonaventure. Father Jacob Bertrand. Here we are. Here we are. I often start our episodes that way. I don't know why. Of like saying a name and then saying here we are as if we would be somewhere else if we were recording the podcast. Got a, it's almost well, it's summoning one to attention, I suppose. It's like a it's like a preaching crutch. That's exactly ways, right. You know. Yeah. Well, so. You could say behold, or try other things. Eche. Yeah, hine. I think it's the it's the uh, Hebrew. Really. Hine. Yeah. It's like it means low. You know, behold. I didn't know that. I don't know any Hebrew. Yeah, I so. had to take a little bit um, in. In Oxford, when I was a Protestant, I took uh, to Hebrew. It's really? a beautiful, it's a gorgeous language, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I took a, a course on the penitential Psalms mm-hmm. here at the House of Studies. Um, it was very small; there were only three of us in the class. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we were supposed to at least begin to memorize the Hebrew alphabet. I, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zayin, Het, Yeah, you, you don't have that. that's yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. that's <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I probably have the first few letters down, but that's all right. I yeah. think I'll I'll carry on without it. So. Well, it's a neat, and I I learned when I did the Hebrew uh, class, we did some of the grammar, but we started with uh, an inductive method or something. So it was using a book where you just get thrown right into reading. Jonah is very easy because you get thrown right into reading Jonah and starting right away in Genesis. So you, you kind of hear the language first, and then okay. you go back to the grammar. Yeah, and it's the kind of way that you would you learn. We learn our natural languages. I guess that's um, right. Yeah. So it gives you this you speak before kind, you. Read yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. This before you figure out the grammar structures and all the endings and case endings. Um, and it, so it gives you like a false sense of confidence that you know Hebrew because I could read the Book of Jonah a bit, but then when I grabbed Isaiah or something, I like I couldn't read chance. it. <laughs> but it was it to read because the Hebrew goes you know right to left. Yeah. So to read it that way, also the the fact that there are no consonants, they're all marked. In, I mean, no vowels, no vowels they're all right. marked in there. Yeah. Everything's a capital letter. You can see how translation of Hebrew and how if you look at a you know a Hebrew, well the Hebrew scriptures and you have little footnote down there is saying like it could be a thousand or five or you know cheetahs and you think my gosh how could it possibly those don't have anything to do with each other but if you actually see the hebrew and you just take out vowels and smash together it is not at all clear what this is and they're all put together so you know god bless translators father steve ryan and others father jordan schmidt and anyone doing translation work in hebrew it is uh it is it is it's tough work yeah much and much easier than the greek greek new testament's easy compared to Really? Uh, yeah, the hmm. Hebrew Hebrew scriptures, but it's a poetic language. It yeah. sounds it's almost like Italian. It has this when you hear it, it it has this musical cadence like to it, the rhythmic and rhyme, it rhymes oh. like Dante's. I think the the Divine Comedy. I think all of it rhymes. Yeah, in, and you think, wow, that's how is that possible? But that's because we speak English. In Italian, everything you know, just everything ends with an an O or an A or something. So it's not that difficult. Yeah, to, that's right. To rhyme it, uh-huh. I'm not going to do it, but. It, I was I was waiting to see if you were going yeah. to, but anyways, Hebrew. There you have it. A yeah. language to be learned, perhaps, but not <laughs> one on this episode. No, not <laughs> nothing to do with this episode. But yeah. it's good enough. We can start there, and now we can move away. Right, but it's your. Can you make the segue? Yes. Go so for it. Talking about Hebrew is your fault, but the yes. question that we're posing today is: Is it the Pope's fault? Wow. Nice At work. Least with respect to Hebrew, the answer is no. That's right. 
But with respect to the rest, we're going to investigate. That's a good question. That, that's what we're determining today. That's right. Dear listeners. Dear listeners, is it the Pope's fault? Stay tuned, because in the next 26 minutes or so, we will have your answer. Yeah. But in all seriousness, the title of today's episode is, Is It the Pope's Fault? And the reason that we're asking the question, I don't know, talking about the topic, something like that, um, is a little unclear to me, but I think that's just the nature of the question of, is it the Pope's fault? But the, to, to be serious, the, the sort of, at least, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a more contemporary problem. Mm-hmm. I think it's a more contemporary problem. And mm-hmm. I think it's a problem that plagues, I don't know, yeah. uh, younger generations a bit more of this question mm-hmm. of like, uh, so we see issues in the church and the world, but particularly in the church and in particular sectors of, of the church or dimensions of our faith. Um, and the question remains, or the question is, is then brought up, well, it's, or the, the, the statement, maybe not the question so much, but the statement, well, if Pope Francis or Pope whomever did something differently, it would be better. It's this way because yes. he's done it or he's allowed yeah. it. And therefore that leads to other sort of, I don't know, um, other sort of questions or statements about, or yeah, questions about the validity of the papacy yeah. or papal pronouncements or these sort of things. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll set the problem up that way of, mm-hmm. of a sort of, um, yeah, questioning of sort of yeah. papal authority mm-hmm. um, in a way that's that's kind of new. Yeah, uh, that's that's a, no, that's a good point. That there's a, a modern or say a contemporary valence to this this question. In the way before, I mean, if you'd asked this question before about the question the Pope's authority or something in the 1870s or 1850s or in early 1900s, it might be like a dogmatic question about infallibility and this sort of thing. Uh, but today it seems that, at least in the blogos- blogosphere, I just Not threw really ourselves anymore. back to the 90s, yeah. mm-hmm. um, the potosphere and social media, but in general, there is this heightened sense of judgment of the Pope and complaining about the Pope and if something concerns about the Pope and is he saying the right things what's he saying is he a heretic and this and this could be for any you can what's surprising is there's not just like pope francis but um pope benedict gets this a little bit um and then of pope john paul ii is most recently been brought up yeah yeah it's a new phenomenon and i think it is a modern phenomenon in this sense that uh, the pope is such a visible character since jp2 you could say yeah um He's taken on, he's always been the vicar of Christ and the shepherd of the flock and the servant of the servants of God. But recently, with the advent of television, radio, a more centralization, more centralized uh, authority, you could say, even though probably not any more centralized than usual, but just communication is so much faster. You could actually, bishops can actually talk to the Pope quickly. You could send a letter to the Pope. Um, it brings him more front and center. And therefore, I think there's a sense which if something's going wrong, well, the buck stops with the big guy, the guy in charge. And so before, perhaps in the, I don't know, 1700s, 1800s, like the Pope was around, but he was kind of a bureaucrat, at least he was for a while, and and he was the Bishop of Rome, and of course he had legitimacy and authority and universal magisterium and all this, but you didn't hear from him every day on Twitter. You didn't know what he was saying on planes. You didn't hear about this. So it... He wasn't front and center with you all the time, so there wasn't as much content to complain about. Whereas now, yeah, it's it seems like we yeah we we feel like we can attack the pope or or make question question the pope or be concerned about the pope in a way that didn't happen before. It's just more more present to us. 
Yeah, I think that's right. The visibility, the sort of uh, transferability of what he says and how he travels and all of this is translations immediately. Translation, yeah, they're all they're all sort of take it for granted new but, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of yeah. the church. Um, so it it colors and changes the way that we react and interact with the Holy Father. But there's also the reality of, of, of that, like our mode of interaction with things in general has greatly changed. You know, so mm-hmm. as you mentioned, social media and these, yep. like the immediacy of all of that, um, we, I think it's, it, it becomes now whether or not like it's a question of whether or not we're addressing the question of a particular action or mm-hmm. declaration of the Holy Father, this is set aside, but it becomes very easy to sort of become armchair critics of mm-hmm. Um, of things we see immediately and treat like how we react to stupid but all secular things and our yeah. re- reaction to political that, things, political things, and apply that to the things of the church and the faith. You know, to use that same mode of interacting and reacting, which really isn't, yeah, an, a, a sort of prudent kind of approach. Well, that's a good. That's a good point. the The fact that we have the ability to communicate our reactions. I mean, even in the most silly, like emotive, like reacting to things, we can do this on Twitter, our social media stuff. We just feel more likely to say something. We feel like it's more important that we're heard about things in general. We have more opportunity to, opportunity to express our opinions and ourselves and all this. There's a kind of modern sense of self-expression, even amongst those who, you know, we wear habits and such, so we don't particularly think we're modern. But when you're swimming in the sea of modernity, there's a same sense of by outwardly expressing myself, uh, that's how I define myself. And it's mm-hmm. very important to do that. Whereas you might not have done that as much. And I think the imprudence is the question, as everyone knows, not everything that you think you should say. And yet we're encouraged by the current, wor- by the world, uh, to say things, to get attention, to grab attention, to, to let people know we're there. And so there's this kind of push to react verbally to anything, mm-hmm. anything, because, you know, it was just a tweet or it was just this. And there's this, we said, kind of we protect ourselves with the amount of noise that we give out, but it can be, it's not just dangerous in our secular life, but it can be spiritually dangerous, I think, to react sure. in these imprudent ways. Yeah. And I think here too, and perhaps this is I don't know, one of the last systematic, uh, symptomatic things that we can mm-hmm. cover, we'll, but and then move to the question more proper. But um, is, there's there's a real lack of humility at times um, in that, especially, yeah, in that there's, there's a sense of, well, like you were saying, like I have to say what I think. Mm-hmm. And that what goes along with that is what I say is also right. Mm-hmm. Like somehow I have a privileged position to pronounce on everything that happens out of like the Vatican. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm, I must probably. know because I have, I can search things quickly on different news sites and I have more access to communication. I must know. I think your, your arm chairing is the right. We, we yeah. armchair medicine today. Whatever the doctor said, I'm going to go check on WebMD or something. Yeah. Or we armchair on lawyer things. We armchair on politics and we armchair on, on Vatican Vatican issues yeah. as if we know. Yeah, exactly. I think that's so right. it's, it's a bit, it's a bit much for me. So Just, yes, I think, so let's do two things. Yeah. Let's, for, um, let's first perhaps lay out, like you, we, you were kind of saying mm-hmm. some of this already, but like who the Pope is and what mm-hmm. the Pope does. Yeah. Um, because it's also very easy to levy accusations that don't even fit into the context, you know, so the, the Pope should fix this. It's like, this is not, this is not what the Pope does, you know, like kind of thing. So let's situate that. And then we could, 
we could, I think, kind of maybe identify some of like a virtuous approach mm-hmm. to spiritual helps. Yeah, like exactly. Yep. So sure. as far as who the Pope is, you've already said a number, you've given a number of titles, right? So yeah. he's the Pope, he's the Bishop of Rome, he's the Vicar of Christ on Earth, he's yep. the successor to St. Peter, um, all of these things. Um, what I usually say mm-hmm. as a way to, you know, the, the magisterium, the Rome, the sort mm-hmm. of governing part of, of the church, if you want to think of it that way, but also in charge of like spiritual um, care reality is that, that the, it's important to look at that, that the, the Pope Rome, um, they don't, they don't pronounce, he doesn't pronounce or create new dogma or things, but the role mm-hmm. of the Holy father, the magisterium is to, what I usually say is promote and protect. Mm-hmm. So promote the faith, teach the faith, spread the faith, but also protect the content of faith, the truth of the faith, you know, these sort of things. So if I, I think that's a helpful kind of, um, way by which lens yeah. to, to kind of read what he does and who he is. Now, there are also, we can talk about other aspects of who he is as the Pope, but um, that's well, a, a helpful way to begin to think about things. Uh, I, think. I think you're. it's a good hermeneutic that he's a custodian, first and foremost. Sure, in a way. yeah. Like a servant, when we, take about, we talk about him being the servant of the servants of God, and we think about, oh, he's, he's washing feet and all this kind of thing. But also he's the servant of the church. Mm-hmm. So he he is he's given over like this protect this protect business is that he is given something just as we are all handed something. The faith is is something that we are given, a tradition given to us, and we are to uphold it, but it's not dependent upon in any individual of ours. In the same way, I think sometimes we can confuse the Pope where he is he is the faith, you know, incarnate, like he is the Catholic Church. And so if if this particular pope or any particular pope thinks something not perfectly or not right, well, then the whole faith, because it's all for that moment, while he's the pope, he's at the wheel, and he's the one who has to think all of the faith in his mind or something and pronounce it right. He's the mouthpiece entirely for the do- the deposit of faith. No, no, no. This, the faith is in the scriptures, and it's in the church, and it's 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 in God. And then he is a custodian right. of that, so that... <laughs> In a sense, he has less power over it than we might imagine. I think we project having right. power. I think part of it's due to this, um, the political context is in America, we get so used to the president having this incredible executive power so you can do all these things. Um, and the legislature body doesn't do anything and just gets log jammed and such. And so we think the president's really super important because he has all these executive powers. In a sense, the Pope has a lot of a lot of power, but a lot of spiritual power to bind and loose and this sort of thing. But in terms of dogmas and the faith and such, he's really there pro- to protect and guide. And he does assist in the universal magisterium, of course, and he can speak as from the chair. But those are such rare events. And just to, to remind ourselves that he is really a caretaker on not really a and not a, a a dogma maker. Right. If I could you like that. Right. You like that? You can rhyme in English. There yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um yeah, and, and I think you're what you're getting at too, or what you mm-hmm. alluded to, right? The dogma from the chair, right? Speaking ex cathedra, speaking infallibly. This is also um I think a a misc a modern maybe not even a modern, but just mm-hmm. a misconception about the Pope's authority to yeah. speak infallibly. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have, uh, I think people think that when this, more often than not, the Pope, when he speaks, it's it's infallible. There can be, because he's the Pope, he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, which the church, is, the just, church is speaking when he speaks. Correct, which yeah. is just not true. 
Yeah. That is that is fundamentally untrue. Uh, so, and like you said, it's a very rare thing that the that the Pope speaks infallibly and makes mm -hmm. a dogmatic statement that is free from error. And there's a very when he does that, it's only with respect to faith and morals mm -hmm. that he has the authority to do that. And it doesn't change dogma; it right. clarifies yep. dogma. Um, and the other thing here is that there's a very specific process or setting in which that happens. So it's not just he wakes up and says, I'm going to declare that, you know, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. So we're not saying that what, that the Pope doesn't have this. He's not the, the vicar of Christ that he's not, you know, that he's not these, that he's not the Pope, mm -hmm. but we're just, it's important to recognize what actually that, that means yeah. for him to have authority over these things. And when he actually exercises these things, because if we don't have, I think, uh, yeah, if we don't have a, a, an appropriate or good, sort of understanding of what the truth of the office of the Holy Father is, then we can make kind of, maybe not straw man arguments, but straw man accusations mm -hmm. of, you know, like, well, he's doing this and that, it's like, well, not really kind of thing. I you think know? We, there's a, there, there's a ten, human tendency, or at least a fallen human tendency, to look for scapegoats and look for, for people to blame about particular things that aren't going well. We look for, because... We assume things have reasons, and we assume reasons have causes behind them, and we assume causes have agents behind them and something. Right. And so we we strive to find people making mistakes. So if something's going wrong, we figure someone broke something. Like who's we need to hold someone responsible, right? And so it makes perfect sense that we, when something in the church is going wrong, we need to look for someone's responsible for that, and. Of course, the Pope, this is the bad side of the Pope, is the bad side of having a Pope, is that he's the highest, the buck stops with him in some ways, and so he's the most visible target, you could say. So I think there's a there's a human tendency to look for uh, a scapegoat, look for someone to be responsible for particular things, and then, of course, to think, oh, well, he's the most visible member, and then to, as you say, put in these other, uh, well, you know, obviously he's in charge of these things and his, so it's right that we hold him responsible for that. He should do something. He should be fixing something. If something's wrong, it must be his because he has all these powers and such. And as you say, actually, if it's not in his power to fix something, if it's not in his jurisdiction, if it's, it might not be his responsibility. It might not be even be his fault right. that's going on. He might not be the person that has made a mistake or done something wrong, even if a pope can make a mistake. Right. And I think here the principle of subsidiarity is a healthy way to sort of approach mm -hmm. ecclesial or church authority or how things are run in the church. And the principle of subsidiarity is that, that simply that if something can be governed or executed at the a lower level, then mm -hmm. it ought to be. Let, let the sort of lower, more like, not grassroots, but what am I, what's a good word? They're more um, like a local kind of yeah. governance govern um, mm -hmm. what it's supposed to govern. So by way of example, at a parish, a pastor is in charge of the parish. The Pope is not in charge of the parish. Now the Pope could... He has, could he has universal he has, jurisdiction, right. so he is technically, but... But, yeah. but generally, 99.99% of the time, yeah. the Pope, the Holy Father has no clue what's going on at a particular parish. How could he, you know, like right. how could he? And the same thing, like the bishop, the bishop oversees his diocese mm -hmm. and is entrusted with the diocese, not the Pope. Now, sometimes the Pope has to intervene. He names bishops and these sort of things, but what what's governed at the diocesan level ought to be governed at the diocesan level, you know, so these sort of things. So to, to expect um, the Holy Father in Rome to sort of have kind of like the eye of Sauron watching mm -hmm. over everything and being yeah. able to be responsible, for, that's just like, 
It's, it's impossible. It's impossible yeah. and unrealistic. Yeah. Now, I do think we have to affirm, on the other hand, that there is personal responsibility yeah. with respect to the Holy Father, right. and that as the Holy Father um, is in charge, of, as he's a custodian, um, there's another word you used that I liked, a guardian, mm-hmm. um, as he's in charge of promoting and protecting the faith, he is charged with being a yeah. custodian, a, a protector, a promoter of the faith, a guardian of the faith, and we can look through the course of history and see when that's mm-hmm. gone well and when that's gone yeah. wrong. Okay. So I think at times frustrations with different pontificates legitimate. are legitimate. Yeah. Um, but they have to be, you know, the virtue is always the mean. So we can't yeah. be in extremes where, oh, it's never the Holy Father's fault because he, or over this thing, because how could he, how know? he know? How, you know, he's just, or it's always the Holy Father's fault because he's the Holy Father. Like mm-hmm. neither of those actually mm-hmm. express the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to fall into either of those camps. Yeah. So like the question, is it the Pope's fault? Well, I think as we're continuing to talk about this, the answer always has to be, well, maybe. Yeah. Well, what are we talking about? Depends what it is. Yeah. And and um, so what? In some ways, too, in the sense that not like, oh, well, you know, he's the Pope, so he gets to do whatever he wants. You know, who cares? You yeah. have you could have imagine imagine a really church mousey kind of approach to to things, as you say, um, where you think, well, whatever the Pope says is right. So you know, um, it's that great. What is it? Bride said revisited, or something when uh, when uh, was it? Uh, what was his name? Rex Mortrum is thinking about entering the church. And he's having a conversation with that Jesuit, uh, with the Jesuit, the art kind of personal RCA mm-hmm. thing. And he's talking about papal infallibility. And he says, well, the, you know, Pope, whatever he says is right. And he says, what if the Pope says it's raining? And he says, well, it must be raining. And he says, and the Jesuit says, well, but what if it's not raining? And he says, well, I suppose it's probably raining spiritually. That's right, isn't it? You could have this kind of sense of, well, you know, whatever the, you know, we just, we just suffer the Pope, whatever he says there. But instead, no, no, we, the, the Pope can be criticized. And ought to be criticized when he's not following things. But at the same time, to realize that he is, you are criticizing the Pope. And the Pope, the Holy Father, is one put in there, in charge, through an election process, which, no matter whether it's in Italy or not, we assume is not just run by mafiosos, but has the whole, I mean, that smoke is there because the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is, is the one electing, one permitting, one directing, one guiding this. And that we assume, since he has prayed for, remember, the Pope is prayed for every day by numerous, numerous, I mean, I don't know if anyone's prayed more, prayed for more than, than, than the Pope. Right. So are all those prayers useless? Are they not helping? I think there's a, a, a docility. We're expected as, as Catholics to be docile to the, the Pope, not doormats to the Pope, but docile to the Holy Father in the sense that he is our Father, and that just like right, parents, you listen first and right. then, but don't assume, you know, sometimes we can act like teenagers or something where when you're, when you're a teenager, you were never like this, I'm sure. Never. But teenagers never. often like, well, you know, you find out your parents, they couldn't, they don't understand. They couldn't possibly write, you know, they've, they've gotten old or they've forgotten something. So you just, you assume that he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think we can get in this thing with the, with the Pope too. We can act like adolescents to him and we don't, we can't be, we don't want to be children in the sense of whatever he says is right. Otherwise, you know, oh, if I say anything against the Holy Father, I'll be excommunicated. Nor adolescents, the other side of it, in the sense of everything he says, you know, he doesn't understand. I've, everything he says can be wrong. Um, no, we need maturity, which is a balance between understanding who he is, giving him the reverence, respect, and piety that's necessary, and also at the same time understanding his role and his authority in the proper context. Yeah, yeah, and so I think the as you're saying, like the disposition is one of 
of um, yeah reverence to mm-hmm. the Holy Father, but that does not exclude um, the recognition of um, error or weakness or mistake or mm-hmm. those sort of things. But that ought not be the the first mm-hmm. the first approach. So. Um, in the few minutes we have left, perhaps mm. offer a couple kind of, um, uh, what, helpful I don't know, practicals, hints, practical, helpful hints, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I guess my biggest one mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in reacting to the Holy Father, having questions asked about whether it's this particular pontificate or, you know, others that have come under criticism, um, you mentioned this earlier, but is, is a sort of, is, is one of detachment. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, so what, like, mm-hmm. what am, you know, what am I? Mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. I have no control over what the Holy Father says. I have no control over what he does. I pray for him at mass. Mm-hmm. I pray for the Holy Father. But what am I charged with in my mm-hmm. life? It is not sending out a tweet that's probably annoying at best. Um it's about pursuing my about pursuing holiness within the church. Mm-hmm. And the church, if there's need for reform, is not reformed by tweets, it's reformed by saints. And it's not reformed by those who run from the church, but those who invest in and continue to dive into the, the mystical body of the church, who pursue Christ, who pursue a sacramental life, who pursue a relationship with him that builds the body of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what we're responsible yeah. for, um, not yeah. sort of the armchair kind of stumbling yeah. block of bizarre kind of critique. And I think also there is uh, maybe a, a helpful hint on my side, how I, how I think about this is if you don't particularly like someone, right, you have kind of two options. You can either figure out more reasons why you don't like that person, or you can pray for that person and not worry about it. And in the same way with, with the Pope, it's easy to find, oh, I don't like this Pope or this pontificate or this sort of thing. And then to look, look up information about it, to find other people that you can also talk about. Hey, don't you, you, you don't like this guy either. Or like, can you believe he said this sort of thing and generate this uh, uh, kind of a malicious, even if it, even if it's, if it's correct objectively, subjectively, now you're becoming a person focused on negativity when you can't do anything really, really about it other than pray. Instead, whenever you whenever you don't like someone or someone's done something wrong, oftentimes instead of dwelling on them and looking for more about them that you don't like or finding, hey, don't you you don't like that guy either, right? Remember the sort of thing he did? It, just to pray for that person and let it go. And I think that's one of the ways we can deal with the Holy, the Holy Father. If it's helpful for you to read his tweets and pay attention to him on a daily basis and what have you and get Vatican News, fantastic. God wants you to grow in holiness with him. If you find yourself subjectively having a really hard time with it, Turn it off and pray. Right. He's not asking you to comment, hey, what do you think about my Wednesday audience? He doesn't, you know, he's, he not, doesn't know that. What you are responsible for is the salvation of your soul and the salvation of the souls of those around you that, as you are given by Christ to assist them in this particular way, subsidiarity again. And you need all the tools you can get for that. You don't need Satan helping you to find ways to, to attack and work against someone when it's not necessary. Right. So, and the question too is, is sort of like, in whom do we place our trust? Mm-hmm. Is it in Christ and his bride, the church, or is it in the person of the Holy Father? And you, were, you, you sort of mentioned that earlier, you know, it, it, the, when the Holy Father speaks, it is not the church speaking in that sort of sense, you know, where... Um, just qua the Holy Father right, speaking. Right, exactly. He can do it. He can. But he doesn't, right. he doesn't wear the mantle of the... He, do, he, does, he, doesn't rep, he doesn't represent or instantiate the church all at every single moment of his life. Yeah. So I think your advice on the detachment, Mm -hmm. the sort of kind of, okay, (laughs) let's actually assess what it is we're pursuing, 
what it is that we're spending our time and energy on, where it is that we're looking is is really the fundamental key here. So is it the Pope's fault? Um, depends what you're talking about. Sometimes. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> sure. We can look at the course of history and say, or even the course of present day history and yeah. say, yeah, there are some issues that obviously this has caused contention or might not be the best decision for this time and place, or it very well could be. Um, so is it the Pope's fault? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. But so what? So what? <laughs> Amen. Okay. I think we're, we've done yeah. well. Well. And that'll be that. All right, cool. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Godsplaining, and thanks, too, to all of our supporters. If you'd like to contribute to the project, please check out our Patreon page and consider becoming a monthly donor. Give us uh, a review, five-star review, like, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Check out our, our website for news on upcoming events and merchandise. And as always, keep us in your prayers. We're praying for you. And until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.